So let me ask you this question to start. When you think about the best NCAA dynasties in any sport, what comes to mind? I think UCLA basketball. Sure. I think, you know, Alabama football of late. Yeah. Georgia football of now. Yeah. Two two in a row, sure. I know that there's there's some in some more lower profile sports that I'm struggling to think of right now. So, you know, like I I was looking at this earlier. Oklahoma softball is Oklahoma yeah. softball is very good. The UNC women's soccer team, sure. the Mia Hamm yeah. years in the nineties, very good. Absolutely. Iowa wrestling, mm-hmm. very good. Mm-hmm. You mentioned UCLA, but let me propose another one that you may not be as familiar with. Boy, I wish you would. The Kansas State University Crops Team. Oh, yeah? Yes. They have won 19 national championships in the last 24 years. This is their crop judging team. They won the national championship in December. This is not NCAA, right? Because they're one of two schools that do not have an NCAA title. Right. So this doesn't count. Although, I do kind of feel like they should get a little bit... They should just leave Virginia Tech in that empty column. Is <laughs> but they I have want. stuff that's not NCAA. So. Right. But they have 24... In the last 24 years, 19 national championships. They are amazing at crop judging, which requires participants to identify 200 plant or seed samples of crops and weeds, grade eight samples of grain according to federal grain inspection service standards, and analyze 10 seed samples to determine what contaminants they contain. So this, it's not, when you say crops team, when you first said it, I thought they were growing crops. This no. Is, this they're is looking inspecting. at them. They're judging. Ah, they're, they're judging. judging. They're inspecting them. They're looking at them and identifying them or issues with them. Right. So they have to, like, if you look at the pictures of this. Sure. And let, let me just say out of the bat, I was not a crop judger growing up. So I don't know Shocking. all the in, in, in and outs of this. But if you look at the pictures of it, they're like, you know, looking at vats with lots of seeds and pointing things out and. You know, taking out the contaminants, they're probably pointing at things and saying like, oh, that's probably corn. Identifying seeds is kind of wild to me. That feels right? way harder than like looking at an actual plant and being like, yes, that is a tomato. <laughs> I feel like I could do that. I could, I could do at least 50-50 on those. Yeah, but identifying seeds and contaminants and uh, strains and like, you think they could look at like a seed and identify like that's a russet potato? Yeah, I over, think so. Well, they don't grow from seed. Well, wait. Uh-huh. How does that work? I know very little about crops. Uh, this is our new our new podcast is going to transition to talking about crops and how. Yeah, that... we call it crop circles. Oh, you like that? I do kind of like oh, that. Actually, to work with. I this is amazing. I, I'm curious about the five years they didn't win, and now I, I will say that in some of them, let me clarify that. Sure. They have either won or shared the national championship. Oh. They have usually, uh, they usually have one in Kansas City, which is like a big national meet, and one in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And those two right there, like they came in first in one and second in the other with Iowa State. No surprise that they're also involved in this. Naturally. I guess that creates like a split. 
kind of like the old days where the AP and the coaches poll had yeah. their own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Is this co-ed? Yes, it is. Wow. It is co-ed. Kind of progressive. Uh, Virginia looks, Tech. Virginia I was going to say, it looks like Virginia Tech's pretty Virginia good at Tech this, too. Virginia Tech has a team. They're, they're very solid. They they started in the uh, 1989, I believe, was their first year of having huh. a crop judging team. Yeah, I mean, I I will openly admit that this is a blind spot for me. I had no idea um, that this was a thing. And good for them. You know, I feel like of the competitions that exist, you know, when you compare this to some intercollegiate athletics, uh, probably a pretty high rate of, of, you know, amateur to pro pipeline. I would imagine <laughs> these guys probably all end up doing this professionally. When they when they have those NCAA commercials that are like, a lot of us will go pro in something. That's right. Than, no, 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 no. These, no. They all go pro in farming. Yeah, these guys are going pro in in exactly what they're doing and I you know good for them. I I'm really excited for these fellows and ladies. I'm watching I'm looking at the the picture of the K-State team and they all they all look very pleasant and like Yeah. I, I just think that I mean you look at all their trophies and their plaques and do you think that they recruit? I mean you have to think you can't win 19 national championships mm. in 24 years and not be like Hey, we're gonna go find best agrometers. Yeah, is that the word I want? Sure. In the high school ranks, in you know, do you think that their coaches go up mm. in Iowa and Nebraska and? I think I think they must. You got to right. Like it's like a. I mean, or maybe if you've won that many, then they just come to you. Yeah. You know, they you don't even have to go recruit. You just sit back and be like, no, you. You come to Manhattan. You and come to the Little Apple. If you want the best training. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's real cool, man. And I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just feel real happy for these folks. And I uh, like, you know, you look at this and they got their purple suits on and stuff. Like, like they're, they are really doing it. Crop judging. Huh. Emaw. Well, now for all. What? Emaw. That's e- what Kansas State people say. Really? Every man a wildcat. What about the women? That's just their phrase. Oh. They're not as progressive as you might think in Kansas. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) I think we've had this conversation before uh, when we talked to to Brian Burnside about the concussion stuff and growing trend of people who are like, you know, I don't think I'd let my kid play football. You know what I would let my kid do? Judge crops. Sure. Don't judge a crop by its cover. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons Podcast. I am Michael McGraw here with Michael Shutt. Today is May 16th and the NBA Combine is going on. It sure is. Lots of fancy ACC players showing off their wares, trying to get drafted. Reese Beekman having himself a Combine so far, which is both great and sad. Since he's probably going to leave. Is it too late to say that I heard rumors that Reese Beekman had a whole bunch of cocaine at the Combine? And No, it's not. You know, one thing that a lot of his 
stats came back and were great. He was very fast. He made he was ranked third on the side mid side competition, mm-hmm. but it said that he was only six and six feet one inch and a half. Oof. It's opposed to six three, which is what he was listed at UVA. Yeah. So is he is he shrinking? I think he's got to come back. Yeah, I mean, literally shrinking at the competition. Yeah, got to come back for you one know, more reason. I um, it's interesting. I I was not really. I'll be honest. I I, I wasn't really expecting him to have like a really great combine. Just like he, look, I don't want to. He's obviously a good athlete, like clear, clearly, right? But I didn't expect a lot of the measurables to be super, like, like, like jump off the screen and kind of blow people away. So I didn't really feel that he would have a chance to rise back up to sort of where his projections were preseason. I still don't think he gets up there. But while he he measured out a little shorter, I saw his his standing vertical reach was second among point guards, only behind Anthony Black, who is 6'7". So, Tough to beat that. Right, right. So I think that, you know, long arms to me are are really important when you think about somebody whose calling card at the next level will likely be on-ball defense and, and um, things like that. You know, I think that – I've always said I, I, I think Reese Beekman will have a good NBA career. But as I was thinking about this today, I, I – I don't know. I just feel like this is a guy who doesn't really have much to lose by coming back for another year, other than obviously, like, knock on wood, injury risk and stuff like that. I I just can't imagine that he, while he may not be able to rise back up to where people thought he may be, I don't really see him falling out of the second round, which is where many people have him projected now. We had a conversation about this with Chris, and I was still under the impression a few weeks ago that I thought there was a decent chance he would come back, mostly because of his shooting numbers. And I don't know how much NBA scouts put in the combine necessarily. I'm, I'm sure some have different levels of mm-hmm. how much they care about it. But sure. if he's making, you know, if he's ranking third in shooting in different competitions, that was his definite weak spot. All the other parts of his game were very strong. His speed, uh, he ranked in the top three in a court sprint that they did uh, just his ability to not turn the ball over his uh, ability to get steals with his long arms all those things were strengths for him the main thing was can he shoot can he mm-hmm. shoot the ball at all and it looks like he's doing pretty well in the combine and that level so that makes me a little bit more leaning towards that the fact that he'll be gone yeah like i think it makes sense i think that some of the way he plays I mean, obviously he has a different game, but I think this part of it is similar to Casey Morsell, where I feel like in space and at a higher tempo, it, it feels that he has a uh, more of a chance of success. Not that he's like played poorly with an UVA system, you know, I think it's fine, but I think that the NBA space, the NBA pace uh, seems to match some of his skill set a little bit more. In the past, you would say like, no way he should come back because... The NBA, up until the last year or two, if you were older than like 20, they're just like, no, you're undraftable almost because you're so old. I would have thought he could have, could have done that, but if he continues to have a good combine, to me, he projects out as a really solid, probably off-the-bench ball handler, can initiate some plays, can also play off the ball and shoot some, you know, if that skill set continues to to progress. 
and works as a just a really strong defensive player. I, I don't know, honestly. I mean, obviously the size is different, but I don't know that he projects out much differently than Malcolm Brogdon did when he came out. I think Malcolm Brogdon was a much better shooter oh, and better for sure, but particularly I, from outside the three point line. Sure, yeah. and I think that like definitely better, but I think that I don't know. I think Reese still possesses some similar skills and similar profile in the sense that you're going to bring him in. When when Brogdon first came to the league, he was seen as sort of secondary ball handler and playmaker, and was certainly going to help your your perimeter on ball defense. And I think those things project out well for Reese Beekman. He may not be as good a shooter. Obviously doesn't have quite the size that Brogdon has, but skill set wise can project out similarly. I think there is an interesting dynamic of what's changed in the last few years with the draft. I think before a lot of second round draft picks were not guaranteed. And so the calculus Mm -hmm. was a little bit different about coming back that if you projected as a second rounder, you weren't going to get a guaranteed contract, and so maybe it made sense to come back. Yeah. You mentioned the age thing. You know, Now there are also available spots for G League players that they've built in. So even two-way if you... Two-way contracts. Two-way contracts. Yeah. Going in the other direction is NIL, which means that you have the opportunity to make some money. Not that Reese would be raking in Hunter Dickinson money at UVA coming back for one more year, but he would have the opportunity to make, he would be the centerpiece of the team. He'd be the most popular player in in UVA's basketball program, maybe even just in UVA sports overall. So he would have an opportunity to make some money. So maybe that kind of cuts in the other direction, but yeah, it's a, it's a big risk to, if, if you're getting positive feedback and you're going to be able to make it guaranteed basically in the first two rounds, then makes sense for him to leave potentially i'm interested to see i haven't had a chance to watch any of the combine myself but he's playing today they're doing some scrimmaging today mm-hmm. and he's having an opportunity to play with isaiah wong and oscar shibwe and man i just love to be able to watch that like yeah. those two those no, two on the is, same court the nba combine is one of those things that i if i were in sports media i like like professional, like full time, I would love to go cover and watch. It's not like the NFL Combine where it's just underwear Olympics. Like these guys actually get to play, and you get to see some cool like matchups and people teaming up. And I don't know. I just think it's a lot of fun, and you get to see guys who are. It, it, sometimes it's weird basketball because there's guys trying to prove stuff, right? So like for example, Reese knows he's got to prove to scouts that he can shoot the ball. So I would imagine you're going to see him taking some shots that maybe otherwise he wouldn't take just because he feels like he has to show he can make it. And that goes down the list, right? Other people are trying to prove different things. And so sometimes I can mess with the game, but I think it would be a, a ton of fun to watch those guys play together. And it's tough. He, I, I like Reese Beekman a lot. He's one of my favorite UVA players of the last few years, just personally in terms of how he plays and how I think he projects out. I still think he's going to have a really good professional career. Um, I think it will be in the NBA, but even if it's not, he has a good shot at being, you know, a good overseas player too. Like his game is there. It translates well to that next level, I think, like I said, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. And then obviously it, this is fun, right? Because both of our schools have a guy who's in the spotlight on some level with the NBA combine. Turquavion, baby T. I'm excited. I would, again, in the similar vein, seeing him play with 
Kevin McCuller, yeah, and Drew Timmy, yeah. Just what would a give me that give me that two man game? That would be fun, right? A little pick Set and roll, that. pick and pop yep. off of that. Set that see what that looks like. Uh, Turquavion is somebody I'm really really excited about the next level. His game also translates. He's an ISO he's an ISO player, right? So like, give him the ball and give him space, and that is what the NBA is. And you know he played well at the combine last year, and that's what people kind of maybe have lost track of that. That he he went through this whole process last year, went to the combine and played, um, worked out well, looked really good in the five on five scrimmages, and it was sort of surprising when he said he wanted to come back. I mean, post combine, Terquavion Smith was a projected lottery pick last year, and decided that he was going to come back to NC State, and State fans love him for it, you know, and, and I, I think there was some unrealistic expectations of some that maybe he could do it again and come back again. But I think he gave us everything he's got. And and to be honest, he projects out to me as someone who reminds me a lot of uh, Bones Highland. Game-wise, in terms of style, I don't know that he's quite as talented. But Jalen Green, uh, who the Rockets drafted, I think they have a similar game in terms of just like this is a guy whose probable best role is coming off the bench as a spark plug to score a bunch of points. And it's sort of in a Jamal Crawford type role. He's not the same kind of player, different size. But I think he could be a really good defender. He's lanky. And he's super disruptive. Like, is he as fundamentally sound as somebody like Reese Beekman on ball defensively? No. But he actually gets a decent amount of steals. Um, plays passing lanes well. And is super just like... He gets a little reachy sometimes, which, which can affect him in his kind of fundamental defense. But it is disruptive, and he can really break up a play defensively. And I don't know. I just think I think Terquavion Smith is a good pro. He he would be the counter argument to Reese, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, he like you said, he was a potential lottery pick. You at the beginning of this podcast a few months ago kept referring to him as a lottery pick. Now most mock drafts that I see have him in the second round. Like, But I think a lot of that is virtue of the draft. It's a more talented draft. It, it is. He's a better scorer. So, like, you, when I look at who I think of in the NBA, so much is based on offense. And yeah. You know, there are roles for people like Reese Beekman who are shutdown defenders and who can facilitate the ball without mm-hmm. turning it over. But as somebody who could potentially be a volume scorer, I could easily see somebody taking... Like, I expect Smith to go before Beekman sure. in the draft. Sure. But that being said, like, I don't think anybody expects him. It would be very surprising for him to be a lottery pick at this point mm-hmm. based on where he is and his inefficiency in shooting the ball, particularly as the season went on for NC State. I mm-hmm. feel like he, his stock did drop a little bit. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you that he would make a good roster person to come off the bench be a microwave and heat it up and shoot the ball and at all you know get to the rim shoot threes Mm -hmm. but i do feel like he's hurt himself a little bit i think my biggest issue with some of the evaluation of him is that the thing is the thing we don't talk about so what gets talked about with him is oh when he came back after you know he averaged just over 16 points a game last year and when he came back the talk was okay what he's going to do is come back and average over 20, you know, have a big jump at his numbers, maybe shoot the ball a little better, which he didn't, and that's what that's what will do this. Now, he did up his scoring average a little bit. He averaged just under 18. The thing we don't talk about, he doubled his assist numbers. And that was the thing when he came back. So this is where I think we talked about this with the NFL draft. The disconnect 
between what the league is saying and what media is saying. So all the media stuff was, okay, Tequavion Smith's got to come back and up his scoring numbers. He's got to have this big jump statistically for, you know, that's what he's looking to do. But when he announced he was coming back and in all the preseason stuff, Tequavion himself said, I want to improve my distribution. I want to improve my playmaking. That's the feedback he got from an, from NBA teams. He's a little small. He average, he measured out at 6'2 and a half. So that's tough as a two guard. So you're probably going to have to play some one, which means if you're coming off the bench and you're playing that kind of combo guard position, you're going to be in a spot sometimes where you have to create some offense and find open find the open guy and make plays. And that's what he wanted to show when he came back this year. He was better finishing at the rim. He was better uh, making plays for others. And he was better defensively. So, yeah, it seems, based on mock drafts and stuff, that he likely isn't going to go in the lottery. We'll see, right? I mean, again, who knows what teams are thinking. But I do think some of that is a product. I I push back a little bit. And I would push back similarly on Reese, that they hurt themselves by being back or anything like that. And, And I guess it's a little bit different for Reese to think for. Like, I think that it is, I mean, maybe... In terms of the end result, yes, but I, I push back, I guess, on the logic behind that. Mm-hmm. That I actually don't think his profile is any worse. I think it's actually better. If I'm a GM looking at Terquavion Smith, I'm looking and saying, okay, when this guy wants to, he can defer to someone else who maybe is getting hot. So when Jarkel Joyner was getting hot in some of those games, Terquavion said, great, I'm going to look for you. I'm a driving kick. When Casey was hitting shots, at a rate that was unreal, right? I'm going to drive and kick out to you. I'm going to find DJ Burns and let him work on the post, right? So, I, I, I don't know. I like him as a prospect. I get it. Like, there's definitely... He is inefficient, but so is the NBA a lot of the time. So, <laughs> Yeah, I was looking at the rest of the ACC players that are involved. Mm-hmm. Bob, <laughs> Bobby Clemens, an interesting one at Wake. The fact that he pulled out of the combine yeah but but told wake he's not coming back right like he's like i'm all in for the nba but i also don't want you to look at me anymore oh he's got a promise yeah somebody promised him they're taking him yeah it's got to be okc that's 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 such an interesting thing and you're i think you're 100 percent right that somebody said we're not you're not getting past this number because it's just so risky like it's one thing if uh victor women yama is like yeah, I'm not going to do this anymore. Like, everybody knows he's going to sure. go in the top, you know, one. one number one. So, like, you don't, we, don't need, we don't need how big his hand is, right? Right, right. But, yeah, for for that to happen is kind of interesting. And he's such a boomer bust prospect. Like, he, he strikes me as somebody who has a very high ceiling, but also could be out of the league in three years. Sure. This is, Clintman is the most intriguing prospect in this draft. You take out Women Yama, who's intriguing just because he's generational. Other than that, there's a bunch of really good prospects that are way better prospects than Clintman. But when I look at this guy, he is athletically and just like build and skill set wise, incredibly enticing. Here's the the caveat with him. At this juncture, he's not all that good at basketball. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like he averaged like five points a game at Wake. And it got better at the end. I think towards the end of the season, he was averaging like 9 to 10 in those last like few games of the season. But he's not that great. So if I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking, like, why would you withdraw from the combine? Because it looks like your athletic profile 
might be your ticket. So the combine would seem to be your way of like increasing your stock, but he's consistently in the top 20 in mock drafts. In fact, in a lot of them, he's in the lottery. Mm-hmm. And this fits OKC's profile over the last few years, what they've done. They've drafted a lot of guys. Poku, Usman Jang. Um, they did this with Jalen Williams, where they look at them and say, hey, we really like this guy. He's raw, but that's fine. We're on a young timeline, and we can fit him in. And if we make him a promise, he'll shut it down. He'll stop going to the he won't go to the combine. He won't go work out for other teams. He won't share medicals with other teams. So they won't draft him. So now we know we got our guy. And it's extremely bold to say, like, hey, this is the guy. And I don't know. Like he may suck. And it also may backfire, like somebody falls in the draft, sure. you know, like Or they do well they, they the lottery's tonight. So maybe they get the Right. They maybe you get up. the one pick, who cares? You know who you're drafting. Right. But you get two or three. And now you're like, okay, wait, we, sorry, buddy. We, uh, well, and even if you get one, they're going to draft one Binyama. And now this poor guy is like, nobody else likes me, (laughs) you know, and I put all my eggs in this basket. Or maybe he got multiple teams who said, we're going to take, I don't know. He fits this, like he, every year, right? There's a prospect like this who you look at them and you're like, okay, what am I missing? Cause I watched him in basketball games and he wasn't very good. But now all of a sudden, he's like a lottery pick. He he was very good at the end of the year, and he was a highly rated recruit. But you're right. There are so many examples of this. I do feel like the NBA has made a shift in this a little bit where both of us can name 20 people who have the exact thing of like, they're a great physical specimen. They have never really played basketball before and scored three points. But man, you just look at the potential. And I feel like there are so many flame outs of that, that mm-hmm. there have been a lot of teams that have kind of gone the other direction and be like, you know, it's okay if you're 22 and you've scored 18 points a game yeah. at your school yeah. and you led them to the Elite Eight or something. You know, like somebody like an Isaiah Wong for me, I, I don't think he's going to go in the first round based on no. the draft mocks that I'm seeing, but... I would love to have him on the team. He's going to make things better. He's going to be able to come off the bench. He's gotten better as a shooter. He's almost, you know, over a 38% three-point shooter. Like he is the exact kind of person that I would want on my team. And I get he's not as physically strong and sure. whatever. He's, he's not going to test older, super but, well at the combine. But man, like if I'm in that mid late first round, like I would much rather take somebody like that that has an established track record than somebody who like five points a game. If five points a game, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I it, no, I totally agree with you, and I and I think that it's Isaiah Wong is somebody that I think is going to be really undervalued in this draft. I think this is he's the he was ACC Player of the Year. Like this guy can play, <laughs> you know, and like this isn't a bad conference. We're I'm looking at this list of guys who got invited to the combine from the NBA or from the ACC, and there's a lot of talent there. No, there is no doubt in my mind that Isaiah Wong is going to be a quality NBA bench player. How good? I don't, I'm not sure, right? And maybe he even develops out to a starter-type level. I don't know that I see that, but but it's possible, right? And he's somebody who does a lot of things well, played really well on a good team. And that matters too, right? The fact that his team was successful. <laughs> How far did Miami go right, in right. the NCAA tournament? Seems to me they did pretty well. 
and he played well. Some of the other guys that I think are similar, the two Clemson guys who just pulled a, a combine invite from, so they were invited to the G League combine, played so well there that they got an NBA draft combines, so Hunter Tyson and P.J. Hall. I, they don't project out to me in the same way that Isaiah Wong does. I think both of them are just kind of meh NBA prospects. But they fall in that category of here are two dudes who had successful college careers and produced in a good conference. And that probably ought to mean something, right? This is a Clemson team that was right there at the top of the ACC standings all season. And they were leading the way. Um, the two Duke guys at the, pros- at the Combine, um, Lively and Whitehead, I like both of them for NBA careers. I think they actually fit probably better in the NBA game than they did in college. Whitehead, I think, is somebody that is uh, really undervalued because he was injured. And teams obviously know that. But I think with a good showing at the combine, with a good showing in pre-draft workouts, I think he starts to rise back up the boards. Does he get as high as people thought he would be? Probably not, because you got to think prior to the college basketball season, this is somebody who was projected in the top five of the draft. I don't think he gets up there. If he shoots well at the combine and throughout these workouts, I think he could work his way back into the lottery, though. So that could be something people are surprised by. Uh, Derek Lively played really was coming on at the end of the season. Uh, very athletic. His his blend of size and athleticism fits what the NBA is now. He's a modern NBA five, right? So he's got that sort of Tyson Chandler, Willie Cauley-Stein size and bounce and rim protector ability, but a more diverse offensive game with range out to the three-point line. Gotta love that as a prospect. He's definitely a first-rounder. The other Miami prospect, Jordan Miller, he's got to shoot well at the Hmm. combine and pre-draft stuff. He doesn't really bring much of a three-point game uh, through his college production. This is a five-year college player. He produced well, generally, but I think if he can't shoot the NBA three, he kind of projects out as a poor man's TJ Warren, uh, who had a really good start to his career, but is now kind of a seldom-used bench player for Phoenix. And the only other ACC player at the Combine is Judah Mentz from Syracuse. I should like his game a lot. I think he should come back, but I do do agree. I like it. Just just from a – that's one of those ones where – the growth that you saw over the course of his freshman year, like yeah. translates, I think really well to, and, and he, it, it wasn't a five points a game for him. Like he played right. significant ahead, minutes yeah. for Syracuse. I just uh, think if he comes back and plays another year, he's a top 10 draft pick. Probably. Maybe. Yeah. And, and Syracuse would be a really, really good team yeah. with him back on the roster. The, the other thing I would point out is, you know, Jeremy Roach decided to go back to Duke and Shh. Yeah, it's not great. They're going to be so good. You know, they really the are. Only, they're the only team. Wait, I saw this stat. Yeah, they're the only team that didn't lose somebody on a transfer portal. That's John sucks. Shire locks I it knew, down. I, I knew he'd be good at this, but win the ACC tournament and then continuing recruiting success and more importantly, the recruiting success of keeping guys there. So just. Roachback, Filipowski back. Tyrese Proctor, ah. Jared McCain, Caleb Foster, Mark Mitchell, Ryan Young. That team's going to be so good. They're going to be really, really good. Getting in transfers from Stanford. They're going to be... I mean, they're the consensus one. They're yeah. the consensus number one team. As they should if, be. If, if they aren't a... You know what? Let's just frame it this way. If they don't win the national championship, is 
John Shire on the hot seat? <laughs> I think yes. What's crazy is we were sitting here at the same time, not this time last year, but preseason last year, talking about how Carolina was like, oh, this is obviously the preseason. And we pointed out flaws. This team, it's hard to find flaws. This Duke team, it feels different, yeah. right? So Carolina's like, okay, they didn't make the tournament. I'm I'm on Giannis's side in this thing. I don't want to call the season a failure, right? Like that's <laughs> that that I get that, right? But it is definitely disappointing. You never want to think championship or bust just because like that's such an insane mentality because it's so. But you have to think at least Final Four yeah. with this team. Yeah. Like there, there's Experience nobody else and talent. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't I don't like it. Yeah. There's a couple other, I mean, literally just two prospects outside of the ACC that really intrigue me okay. in this draft. Sure. Anthony Black, we mentioned him earlier talking about point guard measure. He reminds me a lot of Josh Giddy, who plays for the Thunder. I think he has actually higher scoring potential than Josh Giddy does. Um, wasn't really asked to score as much at, at Arkansas just because there was a lot of talent on that team. The one I like who baffles me, Taylor Hendricks mm. from UCF. Yeah. How many times throughout the college basketball season did you find yourself thinking or talking about Taylor Hendricks? Not very often. He's going to be a top five pick. At least top ten. I was going through the internet today looking at all these mock drafts, and I saw multiple people with him in the top five. And, like, he is very intriguing. He's a standout defensive player. He can guard probably every position. Got great size. He shoots the ball well. He flew under the radar because UCF sucked. I feel like this is one where... Is this a weird one? I feel like this is one where just the fact that uh, Jalen Williams from Santa Clara last year got in the top yeah. 10 and then everyone's like, ooh. And was amazing. A, let's have a mid-major good player. Could be. You think it's going to be a miss? No, I mean, he. I, 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 I watched some of his tape today for the first time. I, I was going to say, I, I have no tape on him. Yeah. He is a, he's 6'9", the ability to shoot almost 40% from three-point range. So, like, that... That is the perfect NBA player yeah. that you can develop a- after his freshman year, but I, I don't know. Like I don't, I, want, I don't know anything about him. I want the Hornets to get the first pick and draft him over Wimbenyama. <laughs> so we talked about ACC basketball and the draft, but this has also been a calamitous forty-eight hours for ACC football as they are having meetings. And uh, Brett McMurphy was the first one to do some reporting on this. The Magnificent Seven! I love the Magnificent Seven, by the way. I can't, and First of all, I, I think I should just acknowledge that I would hate it if UVA wasn't in it. Yeah, if, it yeah, was, yeah. if UVA was left on the outside, I'd be like, that's I feel stupid. the same. I feel the same about, obviously, NC State. Right. So, once again conference realignment is taking over the narrative of college football and reports are that in the meetings between ACC programs they're trying to figure out if there's any way that they can change this uh, grant of rights deal that is going on with the ACC there are clearly programs that are not happy with how the ACC TV deals are being paid out compared to other conferences like the Big Ten and the SEC. And there are schools that are highly attractive to potential other conferences. What do you make of all this? Burn it all down. Really? Yeah. That's your take? That's my take. I think at this point, the only solution is you're not getting out of that deal. 
I'm not. I'm not a lawyer, but that everything I read about the deal is not only that you would you have to as a school pay 120 million dollars to get out of it as like an exit fee. The conference would own your home games and some non-conference games in all sports until 2036. Yeah. So you could be making whatever money you make from the Big Ten, and ESPN is still making money from you from your lacrosse game that you're playing. Women's lacrosse that makes it onto ESPNU or whatever. They're, they're going to get that money, and UVA wouldn't. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. So I love the ACC. I do. I love the tradition. I love a lot of what we got going on. Okay. <laughs> All of that being said, there's a there's a comedy of errors that have led us to this place. So, first of all, it starts with John Swafford. <laughs> okay. Bad idea. You need somebody to run your conference. Like go go way back to like when he started as ACC commissioner. You need somebody to run your conference and so you bring in an AD of a conference school to let him negotiate this big TV deal as your commissioner. Without really an understanding of what was coming. That that TV deal was negotiated before so much changed. But it wasn't like you couldn't see that things were about to change. Right? The whole college sports landscape was clearly shifting. So it was a short-sighted deal. The, divisions, the divisional setup was stupid. Going back to expansion, the ACC expansion that led to those divisional setups. We all know why they're set up the way they are. Because at the time... What they anticipated was, ooh, we're going to get conference title matchups in football. That's going to be Florida State and Miami. How often did that happen? It's happened one time. And it was the first year. (laughs) Then further expansion happened with too much focus on basketball. I love basketball. But we're talking about schools like Louisville and Syracuse. Like We've talked about how that's kind of hurt the ACC. Bringing in, letting Notre Dame join without committing to football. Mistake. Miami has been a big disappointment overall. I talked about the Florida State-Miami thing. They, they've, football-wise, never touched what they were when they came in. And that's that's a, a huge bummer. And you're just not going to get out of this. I think you tear it all down. I really do. And, and truly, in my mind, you tear the whole thing down nationally. I think we kill the NCAA. I want to start all over with geographic divisions. I've got them here. I'm ready. Like I, I want to get I want to get to that in a yeah, second. Yeah, yeah. But... I'm going to save it. But I, but I just think it's the only real solution from here. Right? I think there's probably more realistic solutions that are going to happen, but I don't know that they quite fix the whole problem. Yeah, it's it's wild to think that the ACC's TV contract is for $240 million, which, again, that's more money than I have, so I'm not going to say that's nothing. But that runs through 2036. The Big Ten, their contract is a billion dollars, hmm. and it goes... Through 2030. Mm-hmm. They have a shorter contract. Plus adding teams like USC, UCLA. The SECs goes through 2034 and is less than the Big Tens. And is you know, $800 million plus or minus. It's insane that the ACC signed this deal with ESPN for what they have. Like it's, it is, it makes the schools. Like I, if I'm Florida State or Clemson. And I have top football programs that are trying to compete nationally with Alabama and Ohio State and Michigan. I 
understand the frustration with this. Like, yeah. I get that as fans, it's kind of unseemly to think about it in this way, and you don't like. I I am very upset at the idea that UVA would be in a conference that's not the ACC. That makes sure. me actually really upset. I agree. I think it would make my fandom less robust mm. if UVA was playing in the Big Ten. But at the same time, I mean, we're talking huge, like potentially hundreds of millions of dollars over the course of years. Like I totally yeah. get why Florida State and Clemson are mad about this. Yeah. And, you know, they, they've talked about it a little bit. And Nicole Auerbach had a great article on this in The Athletic that I recommend anybody who's interested read about. They're, they're talking about changes that are kind of on the margins of this, where the ACC might be able to reward certain teams that have success rather than having an equal share across. So mm -hmm. teams like Florida State and Clemson might be able to get more money compared to probably a Wake Forest mm -hmm. or something like that. But that's not going to fix the problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking about like huge differences, yeah. like three, four times the amount of the TV deals. That's not going to fix what yeah. is going on here. Right. Yeah, I, I look, I, I, I totally agree with you in that I the idea of NC State playing in something other than the ACC bothers me, which is why my solution involves the ACC just not existing, right? I think that, that eases the blow for me of it's not that they're playing in the Big Ten. In my mind, they'd be playing in a whole different conference. Like, I... That's why I want to start from scratch. I just want to create brand new things. I know that that's probably unrealistic, right? That takes a crazy, just tearing it down kind of mindset that would set probably all sports back initially, right? And I think would involve a lot of reshuffling of resources and it'd be really difficult. So what seems realistic to me, right, is you look at those Magnificent Seven plus maybe some, because I, I really think some of them move, and then there's others that are on the fringe of that that will also probably try to move. And you're looking at the SEC and the Big Ten, absorbing them. Mm -hmm. And you have defections, and then the ACC will probably backfill from the American. right? That seems to be the most likely scenario where you're filling in with teams like ECU and stuff like that. Or a JMU. Or, sure. Yeah. Sure. And then I, I think there's an opportunity if the AC, or the ACC dissolves... And some of those schools go back to like a Big East, American, whatever. So in looking at that, right, to me, if I look at the, the Magnificent Seven, okay, the SEC feels like a perfect fit for schools like Clemson, Florida State, Miami, probably NC State and Carolina. And I think the Big Ten feels like a better fit for UVA, Virginia Tech. I, honestly, I think... Virginia Tech, I think, is a better fit for the SEC. That one was hard for me. I just think that what's going to happen is those ADs are going to... Like, as much as it's a rivalry, I think the UVA and the Virginia Tech ADs are going to link together and say, like, we're going somewhere together. You're not breaking up this rivalry. I think yeah, it's I don't, too important. I don't, mm, yeah, I don't, think, I don't think that'll be an issue. I, I could see a... I think it's much more likely that UVA and UNC would go to the Big Ten together. The, the fact that they're both AAU schools, sure. I think, is I a big I think the Big, big Ten's going to end up relaxing that, though, because they're going to have to. Sure, but they can have the best of both worlds. They can be yep. the, on the East Coast, yep. have a brand like... North Carolina have a brand like U, uh, UVA from a basketball perspective. Not not saying anything about our football team, but sure. you can you can have that. I I think I think Tech just just the way that it's set up. I think Tech, Clemson, Miami, Florida State, maybe NC State are all good fits for SEC. Like I could see that. I I do think 
I'm interested in what you think about this as a fan. Like, I, I know you just said blow it up. The fact that Duke, Carolina, UVA, Tech wouldn't be in the same conference, like they could play out of conference games, but just the fact that they wouldn't be playing necessarily guaranteed every year. I do feel like, unlike NIL, we've had so many conversations about NIL and how you and I are more positive about it than many common fans. This would bum me out. Like this would actually bum me out as a fan. But it bummed me out when Maryland left. It bummed me out a little bit, but also uh, Maryland. So <laughs> I, no, I, I I'm with you on that. Like I hate Maryland, but like that to me in in that wave of realignment, that was the thing that felt unnatural. Where I was like, really, Maryland's not going to be in this anymore, mm-hmm. and I kind of got over it. I don't really care now. So so I guess like to me, I, I'm sort of ambivalent because I think that I will be bummed. Yes, 100 percent. If if NC State is not in a conference with Duke and Wake, even Carolina, who I hate, that's the thing. It's like, I want to be able to hate them. I want to be able to have that right. that rivalry. That does feel like a major bummer. But so, so much of the NCAA is based on rivalries. That's the thing. Sure, it's but the rivalry can still, can still exist. It can, but it's not the same. It's not the same. You're ready to put Virginia Tech in the SEC? Right, I know. I, I'm not. I'm just saying. I think they are a better spiritual fit. Sure. No, I for get the fan base. I do get that. Like, I, I, I won't. I'm not saying that it wouldn't bum me out. Like, I totally. I, I agree, and that's sort of why I put Carolina and the SEC and Tech in the Big Ten to keep those together. Mm-hmm. I mean, think basketball wise. Carolina and Duke not in the same conference. Right. That's a that's a huge bummer to me. Seems crazy to me, and, and I I totally understand, and that's why I think like. All of the short-term solutions that are going to be easier to navigate are going to be probably bad for college sports in general, just in terms of like, at least short-term. It's hard to figure out what those rivalries look like. I mean, Rutgers still doesn't feel like they fit in the Big Ten. Syracuse, we've talked about this, doesn't really feel like they fit in the ACC still, at least in my mind. It's going to be super weird in the next few years. Texas and Oklahoma in the SEC... USC and UCLA in the Big Ten. I mean, that's the thing. Like, if UVA made a transition to the Big Ten, how much am I going to care about? I mean, I, I'll care, obviously, but it's it'd be so weird to have to play a game at Nebraska. Sure. Or at UCLA. Watch <laughs> out for Matt Rule. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, so, you, so you documented a fix to this. I've got a fix that involves... Let's hear it. 10, 12-team conferences. Okay. I took the 120 relevant... Sorry, uh, Texas State. ...teams. And so, you want me to just go through them? It's a lot, but... Let's go Let's go through, like, the big... The big... Uh, like, what What are the major changes? Sure. What do you got? Uh, I mean, it's, it's all a major change. Okay. Like, <laughs> go ahead. So, I'll go quickly. So, we'll start with where our teams are. Okay. What I'm calling the Mid-Atlantic Conference. We don't even have to stick with that. Let's go ahead and just make it, you know, like these, these uh, the Bojangles Conference. These are all get just... Some, get that extra money. Yeah, these are all just geographic whatever. Uh, so UVA, Virginia Tech, NC State, Carolina, Duke, Wake Forest. So far, all ACC. That's where we get funky. Oh, Clemson, <laughs> South Carolina, ECU, Old Dominion, App State, Charlotte. Keeps things pretty tight, geographically speaking. There are some... This is where I said, like, short term, it's going to be difficult. Because there's 
like tough. Um, I'm trying to think of the first year, how many years it would take a non-Clemson team to win that conference in football. In football? 30. <laughs> no, because I think the way South Carolina is trending right now, like, okay. I, I don't know. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Keep going. All right. Let's move. Uh, we'll go because this one involves some ACC as well. This is Louisville, West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, Notre Dame. Then a bunch of schools we don't really care about, honestly. Like okay. Illinois, sure. Marshall. There's no na- There's no way Notre Dame would play Northwest. with those people. This is I get to put them in there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm just I, I'm just adding commentary. Sure, sure, sure. No, I, no. It's all right. We go up to the Northeast. Okay. We've got Boston College, Yukon, Maryland, Penn State, Pitt, Syracuse, Rutgers, schools that all fit up there. So the Big East. Yeah, kinda. But also throwing in schools like Buffalo, Temple. Mm. I guess they were also Big East at one mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Navy and Army. You don't get to be independent anymore. <laughs> <laughs> You're not Notre Dame. You no. don't get to fix your schedule. Come on. No. We've got a, a Sun Belt. Conference. We're we're gonna keep using that name because it's it's not really a conference. It's a region. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we the fun like, belt. The fun. Yeah. Sure. This is where we got Alabama, Auburn. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I love the idea of them opting out of the SEC and the eighty million. No, I understand. It's not I, the Sun Belt. I, it's. I understand. Yeah. I'm just saying it would be funny for them to be like, you know what? I agree to a regional. Yeah. Thing. Let's go ahead and play. Let's let's get out of the SEC where we're printing our own money. This is a very against. this is a very NCAA fourteen thing. This is a <laughs> this is one of those things where at this point the AC, the, the NCAA just like doesn't exist and we're creating from from scratch. Mm-hmm. So Alabama, yeah. Auburn, LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Okay. Okay. Sure. Memphis, mm, okay. Arkansas. Okay. There's gonna be some. You yeah, have to yeah. put those people somewhere too. All right. Deep South. Georgia, Florida, Florida State, Miami, Georgia Tech, UAB. Let's go, Blazers. UCF, USF, some other schools. Georgia Southern, Georgia State, stuff like that. Okay? Sure. Got it all here, but I don't want to. Yeah. So then you have the sort of two, like, Midwestern conferences – one of them would have schools like Cincinnati, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Purdue, Indiana, Toledo, Akron, some of the Ohio stuff. Then you got one that has like Kansas, Kansas State, Nebraska, Wisconsin, North Dakota State. This is the crop judging conference. Yes. <laughs> Iowa State. <laughs> Iowa. Minnesota. All right. There's some good. Missouri. All those together I think would be great. Okay. Then we go out west. So we have the Pacific uh, Conference. That's going to be schools like USC, Stanford, Washington, Washington State, Oregon, UCLA, Oregon State, Hawaii. They should be there with all of them. Cal, Fresno State, Nevada, San Diego State. That was the whole conference. (laughs) (laughs) It's good, though. That one I like a lot. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of a version of the WAC or... Yeah, but with with a lot of Pac-12, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then we have the Rocky Mountain Conference. Oh, okay. Okay. Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, Wyoming, BYU, Utah. Eh. This, this is this, this is like the a conf- grab bag. This, this is, is the conference. Bag. Well, they're all I think the Rocky Mountain area. Okay, uh, all schools I would ignore. This is the conference <laughs> I would not pay attention. Um, actually, no, I think that. Well, no, this one's pretty good too. 
Southwestern, Texas, TCU, well, basically all the Texas schools, Texas A&M, Houston, Baylor, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State as well. There's obviously schools that I didn't. What was the first one you said? No, I'm just kidding. The, uh, I, yeah, I mean, the regional games like that certainly makes sense to have a conference that way. Of course, it will never happen, but. Right, right, right. Next year, when NCAA 24 comes out, this right. is, this is the, the first setup. thing I'm going to do. I pulled some of it. There was a um, some of it was pre some pre realignment stuff that SI put out, and I did some shuffling. Mm-hmm. So I can't claim at all this is the original idea, but I I wanted to do this geographically. I started to like go through it all, and then I was like, hey, let me see if there's a template here. And then I did some shuffling because there were some things I didn't like. They had some rivalries broken up. Um, especially among some of the smaller schools. I, just, I don't know, man. I, I still want to see Georgia State and Georgia Southern. It's not, I don't know if that's a real rivalry, but it I, should I, be. I feel like the SEC got the the Alabama, Auburn, Arkansas. They 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 managed to keep the best conference there. Memphis, well, Memphis, keep Memphis jumping in. A lot of that's SEC West. You can't right. keep the SEC West together, but the SEC East is all still together mostly. We took South Carolina, but who cares? Nobody ever misses South Carolina. Mm. They were an original ACC member, I think. So, so bring, bring them, them on back. In. Bring Along them back. with ODU. That's the one thing that I worry about that the uh, ACC is going to try to do is bring in somebody like an ODU or a JMU and think that that's going to appease the Florida States and Clemsons of the world. Once they bring those in, though, that will break the grant of rights and <laughs> they're going to be out. So it's like a yeah. double-edged sword, but... Well, you know, I just think that um, it, it's it's hard to predict what's going to happen here. But can we just all agree to like, let's just go along with it. Let's just we'll figure it out, man. Who cares? I, I'm not going to yell at my TV over conference realignment. The the one thing that I will say, as a UVA fan, that has worried me about this whole thing because we don't have the same attractive football team that a Clemson or Florida State has. No. There's the potential, based on being attached to the NCAA, where if you get if you're the one left out of this and you are left in a conference that be kind of is becoming defunct or is having mm-hmm. to add ODU, like you won't be able to compete in any of the sports. You just won't have the money that comes into your in, entire athletic program. It feels like this is kind of what happened to UConn. That they it's sort a little of got, bit. It yeah, a little bit did happen to, to some them. degree, but. And, and while their basketball team was successful, they haven't had the same success in other programs. And, it, you know, that that is something about being a UVA fan that I enjoy. Like, I know people make fun of UVA for liking being successful at other sports and not football. But, like, I do like that we're competitive in baseball and lacrosse mm. and swimming. And, like, that, it, it's not just one sport and all of our eggs are in that basket. Like, I yeah. do like that being a UVA fan. And... If we were left out in the cold, that would make me really upset. It would also make me upset to not be in the ACC anymore, but I would rather like salvage a long-term future if that meant jumping to the Big Ten mm. in order to continue to have these sports that I like watching. It's tough to manage both sides of that, but at the same time, like I, I think a lot of schools are literally fighting for survival in this, and they see this as a apocalyptic event if sure. they get left like wake forest what is wake forest gonna do if they don't get added to one i'm of not gonna lie to you i think they're kind of screwed here 
Right. Like, I, I think Wake Forest and Duke, it's crazy. They're going to win the national championship this year, and they're also maybe going to left out in the cold in this Because their other sports just aren't – they're not on the same level. And as a smaller private school, I think they just don't bring the same types of – in the other sports. Duke basketball obviously brings an audience. But it doesn't in the other sports. Duke just doesn't. They don't have the wide-reaching fan base outside of basketball that that you need to be relevant in this. And a lot of it is about TV audience. That's when you look at this Magnificent Seven in the ACC, it breaks down to viewership. It breaks down to how many games are they having where they have a big audience. And you have schools like Clemson and Florida State leading the way in that in football. But NC State's up there. It's a pretty big fan base. It's a big school. Um, and UVA is at the bottom of that for football, but like you said, has a base outside of just football that makes it appealing mm-hmm. and has a stellar academic reputation that conferences do value because it is still that that is still relevant. I know everybody who wants to like cry doomsday about NIL stuff thinks that the academics aren't important anymore, but like they are. Conferences still value that stuff. But yeah, particularly I, the Big Ten. Yeah, absolutely. The big time. But, I mean, like, the SEC keeps Vanderbilt around. Why else would you do it? That's the one. ain't much to look at. That's the one thing that makes me mad is schools like Vanderbilt just get to, like, print their own But that's why the SEC SEC won't take Wake Forest because they already have that. They have Vanderbilt. (laughs) They don't need Wake or Tennessee Wake Forest. Right. So, like, now if you're the Big Ten, you look at that like, no, we've got Northwestern. And we have these other large public schools that are academically prestigious. So where does Wake Forest fit? Where does Duke fit? I don't know. And honestly, schools like Louisville often get left out in this. I had them in my realignment, my realistic realignment in the SEC, because they fit comfortably with Kentucky. But it's not an obvious thing. Syracuse is not an obvious thing of where to put them. I put Pitt in the Big Ten because you got like Penn State, Rutgers, Maryland. It kind of feels like that old like Big East rejects are going to come. But like it's 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 getting to the point where. When we had that wave of realignment, what, like 10, 12 years ago, a lot of the realignment made sense, right? There were some logical fits for schools. We're beyond that point now. This is where Nick Saban, I don't like to give credit to Nick Saban, but he's 100% right that football should be its own thing. It should be outside of the NCAA because it drives all of these conversations with things that don't impact Mm -hmm. any of the other sports. Yeah. Like it's so it's it makes so much more money. If if everybody could just have the like sixty teams that want to opt into the like semi pro football league, then you could do I mean you could have San Diego State make the national championship in college basketball and that would be fine. Like it wouldn't change their ability to recruit, but it's it's all football based, so Yeah. It's tough. It is tough. And and, and I wish I had the answer to it. If I did, I'd probably be making a lot more money. Well, if you would like to reach us, you can write to us at preferredwalkons at yahoo.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram at PWOPod, and we will message you back. Yeah, if I could, just... uh, Sure. I can't say too much yet, but... Potentially some exciting guests coming up. Mm, yes, we have a. We're hoping to get a summer of guests. We got some things in the works. Got some, some things, things that the... even you don't know about. Oh.